Hey everyone, we're back this week with our new health series called Hormone Happy Hour that I do with Kea Perowit, my dear co-host on the series and co-founder in our business, Bia Wellness. And every Wednesday, Hormone Happy Hour will feature an in-depth interview with a leading women's health expert. Each expert will teach you step-by-step how to eat, think, and move in a way that is designed to help you feel great and create an abundance of energy in your life so you can build your own empire. Empire. Now let's jump into this week's episode. I hope you enjoy it. So Yasmin, I want to share a quote that Dr. Mark Hyman shared with me when I first started working on his team about eight years ago, help his patients who felt like they were struggling with sugar addiction in particular. He would have them write on a post-it note on their fridge or their pantry, and it would say, what am I feeling and what do I need? And I thought that was really powerful because for people who are struggling with any sort of addiction, whether it be sugar addiction or technology addiction, sometimes it's helpful for us to question in the moment what we actually need because we don't, you know, in most cases, we don't actually need that sugary cereal or chips or whatever it is, we don't actually need to be scrolling through our phone, we might be feeling some emotion that we're trying to avoid. So this was a way for us to do some self investigation. For example, am I feeling lonely, and I need to call a friend? Mm. Am I feeling bored, and I need to go for a walk? Am I feeling sad, and I need to talk it out, or I need to journal? Am I feeling tired, and I need to sleep? And so I thought that that was a really cool question to ask when we're reaching for something that we know is not going to make us feel great for us to pause and say, what is it that I actually need in the moment? And this relates to today's episode so much because that's essentially what we talked about. Yes, I love this one with Kim because we talk all about how we can transform our relationship with food and everything that you were listing, Kay, it actually just reminds me. I remember before we started Bia, I was in another job actually working with my family and it was quite stressful. I was working a lot of hours. It was the first time this was pre-COVID where I was working remotely. Everybody was on the East Coast. And I remember I was snacking all day, but I actually wasn't mindful of it. And I talk about this story in the podcast, but my friend was staying with me for a month and she looked at me and she's like, Yasmin, I didn't realize you were a snacker. And it just was like an interesting opportunity because I was stressed. Like looking back, I was not sleeping well. This was kind of before my own wellness journey. And it just showed just how I was reaching for things, not because I was hungry, but truly because I was unhappy with just so many things. And mostly it was probably the stress piece. But I just loved Kim's interview this week because she talks all about this and really gives, which I think me and you are both passionate about, just tactical advice that we can all do that are simple. And I'm excited about this one. So we'll be interviewing Kim Shapira. She's a celebrity dietitian, nutritional therapist, and author of the book, This Is What You're Really Hungry For. She has spent over 25 years helping people lose weight and keep it off with a giant emphasis on keeping it off, both in her private Los Angeles practice, as well as in hospitals, sports clinics, addiction centers, and universities all around the United States. She's also been featured in Yahoo News, Vanity Fair, Pop Sugar, Dr. Drew, and so much more. We really enjoyed this interview with Kim, so let's get into it. Well, Kim, we're so excited to have you with us today. And what can I love so much about your work in your book is how you really make living a fulfilling life just very simple for all of us. So what would you say are maybe some of the most three basic things that anyone who's listening today can start incorporating in their life to live a healthier life? Well, I'm so happy to be here. And I think that's a great question. So I think everybody is after 
one thing and that is peace around their well-being and so figuring out how to not be worried which means learn how to be in your body and stop letting your mind wander so bring back the relationship you have with your body listen that would be the first one the second is move every single day Find something that you love to do and just do it and do it a little more longer, little longer if that was English, yeah. move a little longer than you did yesterday. And third, drink water. And I know it's not always fun, drink water. Yes, those, those second two that you mentioned, I think a lot of people can wrap their head around, but the first one, I wanna dive into that a little bit more because I don't think people realize that they are not in their body, right? Like they might not even know what that means. Am I in my body? I know something feels off. Maybe my mind is wandering a lot, but what does it mean to be embodied, to be in your body, to listen to your body's cues and how do we get there? Yeah, so it's not as hard as it sounds and it's a practice. So what I would do, like, let's try it right now. So what you wanna do is repeat after me. So you say to yourself, where is my body? And where the answer should be, yeah, so go ahead and try it. Where is my body? Where is my body? And then just maybe tap yourself and say right here, right? Acknowledge it's right here. And then say, where is my mind? Where is my mind? Yeah, and so what I just saw you do is you, your eyes actually rotated up, which meant you went looking for your mind. And so you're able to actually find where your mind is. And sometimes your mind is on yesterday's dinner or a conversation you had with a friend, or it's on next Thursday. And if your body is here, your mind should also be here. And so you just repeat it again. Where is my body? It's right here. Where is my mind? And you repeat it again and again until your mind is actually here. And what ends up happening when you go and look for your mind is it detangles it from worry, anxiety, and the thoughts that you're having and helps you get centered to right here. Now, when your mind is here in this moment in your body, you're actually able to scan and see what your body needs. So many people make irrational choices to eat, to drink, to have sex, to cut themselves, all these different things when their mind is not even in their body. So they're not feeling their body. And we have to be listening to what our body is telling us all day long. And we have to be giving our body messages all day long. And so it's really important to know where your mind is. And sometimes we need to bring it back 40 times in a day. And sometimes we go days without having to worry where our mind is because we're right here. But being mindful is a practice like going to the gym. And the first time you do a bicep curl, 10 pounds might feel very heavy. But after a couple of days, you're like really running through the reps. And so it's just a practice that you get really good at. Yeah, it's very interesting in the world of dieting that so often we make choices with our mind, with overthinking versus what our body actually needs. And something that I hear a lot as a nutritionist is I fell off the wagon. I'm guilty because I was doing so good and then I did something and now I'm... I'm completely lost and I can't stop binge eating. So what's the challenge with this idea of falling off the wagon? Yeah, it's the challenge of perfection, which is a really lie. It's something that doesn't exist. And it's 
really getting people to understand it's about progress, right? If we're really seeking joy in the journey and the journey is our life, then whenever we feel restricted or constricted, then our body, the message we're giving to our body is we're in trouble. And our mind's job is to survive every single moment in the most pleasurable way. So the second I'm feeling restricted or constricted, my mind says, let me help you survive this moment, right? And so we go into the spiral of shame and persecution and victim. And if we kind of just pull back a little bit and say, this is my life. I want to have peace around my health and my quality of life and my well-being. Let me just be in this moment doing the best that I can, trusting I have lots of opportunities. And so I don't have to be perfect right now. I just need to be working on progress. That's how I deal with it. I, I love that because I think that it's this idea that we have to be perfect all the time that prevents us from actually getting to where we want to be because it yeah. almost feels like an all or nothing mentality. Either yeah. I'm all in and I'm per doing everything, I'm doing the HIIT training, I'm eating, I'm having my green juices, I'm eating perfectly, I'm eating paleo or this or keto or that, or I'm on the couch and I'm binge watching TV and I'm binge eating and that's not life. Like life does not work that way. It's not ever in extremes, right? It's on a, on a, on a gradient. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. I really see things in terms of being well. And so there's so many different places in our life that we need to be connected to in order to be well. And it's really focusing, like, you know, you mentioned like binge eating on the couch, right? And some people will just say like, that's my time. I love that time, but are they loving the food? And they're also calling themselves foodies. I love the food. I love food. So they're enjoying their time. They've had a long day. They're rewarding themselves or they restricted all day and their body is screaming at them, survive, survive, survive. You're hungry. You need to eat. And so what I see is an opportunity to either figure out how to eat more consistently during the day or find something that's going to be more joyful in the journey in the evening. Right. This is an opportunity for you to do something more fun. And generally speaking, when people are eating on the couch in front of a TV, they're either starving themselves during the day or they're really, really bored or they're really tired and they're trying to fight it. And so, again, they're not listening to what their body really needs. It's so interesting you say that because I remember um, a few years ago before I kind of dived into wellness and started having three proper meals a day. I would kind of skip breakfast, have lunch and kind of snack throughout the day. And I remember I had a friend staying with me and she looked at me. She's like, Yasmin, I didn't realize you snacked all the time. And this was, I was working at home and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I'm not eating proper meals. I'm just kind of snacking, working. I was very stressed at the time. And I think it wasn't until I, and it took me time kind of building that muscle to really have cues with my body and understand like, well, why am I snacking? Is it the stress? You know, stress was one part of it for me. And another one was just not eating proper, like satisfying meals every day. I wasn't eating enough protein, yeah. fat and fiber. So I was just like kind of hungry, you know, eating like, like diet friendly foods, which probably had a lot of crap in it too. So that definitely resonates with me. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned in this interview and you talk so much about is our relationship with food. It sounds like a basic question, but when you hear that, 
the first question that comes to mind is how do I even know my relationship with food? Because at that time in the past, I would have been like, oh, I'm great. I have no issues with food, but clearly there was a lot of stuff I unpacked through that. But how can someone listening today really help uncover their own direct relationship with food? Yeah, it's a good question. So I really operate in my own practice with six simple rules. And the second, well, let me just run through. The first one is to eat when you're hungry, okay? So when you're thinking about your relationship with food, are you eating it because you're hungry? Are you eating it because somebody said it's good for you or because it's breakfast time? So that would be really one place I would look. And the second rule is to eat what you love but to make sure the food loves you back. And so I could love blueberries and they could be on a million different lists that they're you know full of antioxidants and a superfood, but those superfoods give me diarrhea. And so when I'm thinking about my relationship with food, I'm also thinking, how is this food gonna make me feel? And am I eating this because somebody told me it has antioxidants? And so I have to go back into trusting myself and what my body needs and eating it for the right reasons. So when somebody says the word healthy, unhealthy, I should, I shouldn't, these to me are clues that they have some work to do because I see food as food and so should everybody else. And when you start seeing food as food and stop sensationalizing something as good, bad, healthy, or unhealthy, it only takes up one important place in your life and it's hunger. And you 100% should love what you're eating, but it should also love you back. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. How do we know if a food loves us? Mm. Good question. So generally speaking, there are food sensitivities and there are food allergies. Allergies are hives, your throat closing, anaphylactic shock, swelling of your lips, you know, dangerous signs and symptoms. Um, if somebody's allergic, they know it, hopefully, and they are taking precautions. Food sensitivities look a little different. They look like headaches. They look like your eyes tearing, your nose running, clearing your throat, burping, heartburn, bloating, smelly gas, constipation, diarrhea, joint pain, itchy skin, maybe vaginitis, like totally different symptoms. And so what's also interesting is let's say somebody is sensitive to chicken and they eat chicken at 12 o'clock on Monday 
and they're totally fine the rest of the day on Monday, that sensitivity may not affect them until Tuesday. It could affect them up to three days. And so if you are somebody who has any of those symptoms, there's a good chance that you're sensitive to something. And there are tests, like I love the Everlywell test. There are tests that you can take at home that are game changers. And they tell you literally these foods are what is causing you to have explosive diarrhea. <laughs> and you figure it out. And then you look in your vitamins and you look in, you know, all the foods you're eating and see like, is, is some ingredient in here causing an inflammatory issue, which of course leads to leaky gut, which of course leads to many diseases. For sure. I notice in myself that, and it took a lot of investigation. And this is why I love kind of just paying attention to your body's cues mm -hmm. that whatever I ate two weeks ago will reflect in my skin. So if yeah. two weeks ago, I was eating a lot of dairy, a lot of sugar or this or that I'm prone to breakouts. 14 days later, I'll get those breakouts. So like yeah. it really, but it's powerful information to know, right? Cause like that yeah. doesn't mean I'm always going to avoid those foods for the rest of my life, but it's, you know, it's just good for me to know like, Hey, what was I doing two weeks ago? Okay. That particular thing has manifested in this way. Yeah. It's also interesting to know. And I think this is a really important piece is that if you have food sensitivities, they are not permanent. Allergies are permanent. And so if you are sensitive to anything like blueberries for me right now, I'm not allergic. It means that I need to work on the lining of my gut. And the lining of your gut is paper thin, right? And so we just need to add some foods that are good for our body, that are each person has individual foods, right? So like I could love Cheerios, but maybe somebody else can't eat oats or maybe somebody else can't have flax seeds. So they would try hemp seeds, but like some foods that are really important for your gut health would be a probiotic, omega-3s fruits and vegetables, and whole grains. These go a long way to healing the lining of your gut. And they're all, you know, they're, we're all going to be able to eat different ones, right, to, to help healing that. Kim, it's so interesting. You know, the first thing that you mentioned um, in your list was hunger cues and really to eat when you're hungry. And this is actually really interesting to me because I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I actually don't have the strongest hunger cues in the morning, but I know if I miss breakfast and I jump into lunch, it's like makes me just on high stress, high alert all day and I don't feel good. So what would you recommend? Because I know there's a lot of women listening who are like, yeah, I don't eat breakfast. I skip the meal because I'm not hungry, but it's so critical. What would you recommend to women like me and us? Yeah. So I think it's complicated in that there's a couple reasons why somebody might not get hunger cues. Um, they're eating too late, um, close to bed. So ideally you want to have like three or four hours, actually three to six hours before you go to bed without eating. So this will really help your body with inflammatory issues, preventing lots of problems, and it, can it will help you be hungrier in the morning. Another thing is somebody's body fat could be too high. So when we have a high percentage of body fat, we have a slower metabolism. So Ideally, like people concentrate on their weight, getting to an ideal weight. I always want to concentrate on an ideal body fat because we want to be metabolically active and we don't necessarily care about losing the weight as much as we should care about maintaining the weight loss, right? And so maintaining the weight loss is having a normal body fat. And so that's really very important. And so a normal body fat is a faster metabolism. I, I believe 
and I, I think to be this to be true, is that everybody should be eating every two to four hours to help monitor and manage our blood sugars. Mm-hmm. Now, if somebody is not hungry within two to four hours of eating, they overate their last meal. And if somebody is under eating, they could also be slowing their metabolism. So ideally, we want to be making sure that we're eating every two to four hours and If they're not hungry for breakfast, I would work on eating three to six hours before bed, nothing before bed, and then faking it till they make it. So something very small first thing when they wake up, which could be a handful of grapes, it could be a couple of nuts, it doesn't really matter, but it doesn't have to be a meal, just something small to get their body moving faster to make them hungrier. This is something that I talk about all the time and I'm so passionate about because I work with a lot of women who say, I don't understand why I can't lose weight. I don't understand why, you know, like the weight keeps piling on. I barely eat. They say, I barely eat anything. And I look at what they're eating and they barely eat anything. Maybe like a little something here around 11 and then nothing all day and then maybe some dinner. And it is true, their body is holding on to the weight. Or you see the opposite where somebody's eating quite a bit of calories that are more empty or be considered empty and they're not eating nutritious foods very often. So there's, you know, two ends of the spectrum. But in your work, what have you noticed are the top three mistakes that people make commonly when it comes to weight loss? Yeah. So it's kind of like coming right back to what you're saying. And so in you're in this relationship with your body. You live inside of your body. Listen to what your body is telling you, okay? Remember that you are giving messages to your body. If you undereat, what's the message that you're communicating? We're in a famine. If we overeat, what's the message you're communicating to your body? We're preparing for a famine, right? And so either way, your body detects hunger, starvation, restriction as stress. Your body will react in under 10 seconds, tripping the hippocampus, pituitary, and adrenal glands, changing the way that you sleep, store fat, and all of your hormones. So I know you asked me for three tips. Ideally, you wanna listen to your body. You wanna make sure that you're not undereating or overeating, which is why I always say take your normal portion and start with half. So that would be tip number one. Your normal portion is not what's on the box. Your normal portion is not what the chef prepared. All three of us could go to the same restaurant, order the same meal, and we're all getting the same portion. We can't all be at the same hunger level. We just can't be, right? So it's really important to take what you would normally eat, cut it in half, and then wait 15 minutes to see if you need more food. So Everyone on is taking like Ozempic or Wagovi or whoever is taking it. What they're actually doing is it's influencing the hormone ghrelin. That hormone is what tells us when we are satisfied. We all have it in our bodies and it comes out about 15 minutes after we ate. So we all have the ability to eat less. We just need to be able to wait that 15 minute mark right? And I'm happy to get into that a little bit more. So take your normal portion, wait 15 minutes and see if you need more. Most people do not because they're going to eat again in two and a half to three hours. The second tip is, I guess, really honor your body. Make sure you're listening to if I, I trusting, 
that I'm gonna have more in a couple hours. I mean, none of us have starved to death. There's food on every single corner. And I think the third one is, again, to move your body. And this is fascinating about Ozempic because it is the hot topic right now. Yeah. And what you said is so interesting. I, th- I don't think I've ever heard anybody say what you're saying. So can you elaborate on that? Because I think a lot of people are taking Ozempic and they're seeing it as I've tried everything and this is my only option. So what would be your advice to somebody who comes to you and they're like, Kim, I think this is time I want to take Ozempic. What would you say to them? First, I just want to explain, I'm a registered dietitian with a degree in human metabolism and clinical nutrition. I've been in practice 25 years. Okay. I see, I have a very full practice. Everybody has the ability to lose weight on their own. Everybody has the ability to maintain their weight. They just will have to change and change sounds hard. And we we like to sleepwalk through our day. So I think that these weight loss medications are a life raft for many, many people. I believe that disease is weight related and lifestyle and diet related. Having this medication be able to help somebody lower their weight reduces their risk of almost every single disease by 30%. I have spent my entire career making sure that people are not focused on weight loss. I ask every single client, what's your goal? And the second they say weight loss, I say to them, it's not weight loss, it's weight maintenance. Mm. You need to practice change for when you get to your goal weight. You have to work on maintaining this because for every single pound that a person loses, they lose it as water, fat, and muscle. And for every pound they gain, they gain it as fat which is why they are fatter than they were when they first lost weight. So what I would say if somebody said, I wanna take this medication, I say, great. But if you are not practicing change, it will not be sustainable and it will be for nothing. That's what I say. Absolutely. I think that piece of not demonizing, right? Because the second that we demonize like any medication or anything, it, it's very disempowering, but saying, yeah. but presenting all the options. Yasmin and I talk a lot about birth control, right? Other options for birth control with the people that listen to our podcast. And it's like, hey, we don't want to say birth control is evil, but we want to say, here's all the facts. Here's what yeah. you need to know. This is not going to address the root cause issue. Yeah. It can support you in the moment. There could be side effects. This is everything. And now make the decision that you want to make. Yeah. I mean, the truth is the side effects of being overweight, the mental side effects, the physical side effects are worse than being a little nauseous, I think, right now. But if you aren't like, there are many people who are not doing the work to sustain the weight loss. And that just breaks my heart. All six of my rules are based on science, right? And so they really do come down to blood sugar control, right? That's what it's all about, yeah. Yeah, Kim, and I know you just briefly mentioned a few of the rules, but I'd love for you maybe to kind of go through them because they're so simple and effective. And I know change is hard for so many people, but I, you know, hearing it from you and an, as an expert, I still, I think it could really drill into our minds a little bit. Okay. So that would be great. The first rule is actually, before you even get to the first rule, you need to know where your mind is. So it's always find your mind. So there are lots of people who walk into the kitchen and do like, you know, little fishing trips or walk bys. So know where your mind is. Why are you in the kitchen? Why are you at the table? Why do you have food? Be hungry when you eat. So rule number one, be hungry when you eat, take your normal portion, cut it in half, wait 15 minutes and see if you need more food. Trusting there will be more later, Mm -hmm. right? And again, 
Historically, we've eaten 21 meals every single week. There will be more food. So we're very fear-based. Like if I don't eat now, I'll never get it again. Your mind is a liar sometimes. And just because it tastes good doesn't mean you need it all. Rule number two is to eat what you love and to make sure the food loves you back. Rule number three is to eat without distractions. And this could be from emotions you're having, from physical distractions like homework, you know, reading, reading a book, being on the computer, watching TV. It can also be from cravings. None of those reasons are hunger. So the fourth reason why we eat is hunger. And so eat without distractions, be hungry when you eat. Rule number four is to get 10,000 steps every single day. We really need about seven. The average American gets between three and four, but our goal is to maintain our weight. So we need 10. At 7,000 steps, you are lowering your risk of sudden death by 50%. 10,000 steps, you are maintaining your weight. Rule number five is to drink eight cups of water. And rule number six is to get seven hours of sleep. The average American gets six and a half. And if we're not sleeping well, we're not able to actually lose weight. Now. Yeah, these are so, uh, was that that was, was that all of them? That was it, that was it. All of them. They're so simple, so profound, and also tough at times, right? Like I want to hit that 10,000 yeah. every day and I know how important it is, but there's a lot of days that it doesn't happen. So, but I, I, I love the way that they're laid out because it's almost like you could print them and just yeah. be like, check, 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 right? Yeah. So that's yeah. really nice. I'm wondering where, uh, what your thoughts are on counting calories. Is there any benefit or use for a particular person? Everybody's unique, but what are your thoughts on counting calories? I think it's a, a lot OCD. I think it plays into anxiety. It takes us away from being in this moment. So it's not really important. Here's what's very interesting is our body thrives in consistency, which means it likes to wake up at the same time. It likes to go to bed at the same time. It likes to drink the same amount of water. It likes to poop at the same time every day. Now, the way that we have bowel movements is when it gets to a certain weight, we're alerted. It's time to go to the bathroom, right? So our bowels are a habit. Same with the amount of food we need. So if I overate on Sunday, on Monday, my body's actually gonna drive me to eat the same amount of food I ate in weight as the day before. It's really up to me to recognize how much I need in this moment. We really don't need to be counting calories if we're paying attention to our hunger, right? When we are paying attention to calories, we're actually being restrictive. Every single person needs at least 1200 calories just to breathe, just to function. And that's, you know, in the female body. In the male body, we need at least 1400 just to function. Now it changes based on if we're growing, if we're growing another human, if we're recovering from surgery, how active we are, how well we're sleeping, how stressed we are, what climate we're in, all these things can change things. But if we just focus on how hungry am I right now, trusting I'm gonna eat again later and again tomorrow and the next day, we don't really need to worry about calories. You know, I'm curious, Kim, we get a lot of women who reach out to us who are maybe about to enter perimenopause and they're like, gosh, I've just been gaining so much weight. So when you have clients that come in, they're like, I've never had weight issues. I've been able to eat anything I can, but there's something going on this past year or two years where I feel like I'm gaining weight and I can't get it off by my diet. What do you tell that client that comes to you with that? Yes, I believe you. And then I um, kind of go through are you getting headaches? Do you have breast tenderness? How are you sleeping? Are you getting facial hair? Where is the weight gain? How are you sleeping? What's going on with your bowels? 
what's your vagina like, right? Like we ask, I kind of like just go through everything. And then I definitely refer them to their doctor at that point and say, I think it's good to have a panel to see where your hormones are right now. I am one of those people who believes in being supported. I do not think that we need to suffer in any single way, right? So there's lots of ways to support that and balancing your hormones. And honestly, sleep is really important. The way that we metabolize our carbohydrates is really important. And that's going to come down to your adrenals. And your adrenals are really responsible for your sex hormones. So what is your stress like? What is your lifestyle like? What's yeah, no, support, 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 figure it out, pivot. Yeah, similarly, you know, to the phase of perimenopause, I recently had my first baby. And the things that my body has done since then are so foreign to me. It's like, okay, this is not the same body as it was before. Rightfully so. You grew a whole human. There's so much challenges with energy. Obviously, adrenals play a huge role into it. Sleepless nights, baby, like, you know, eating, just reaching for whatever I can reach to just like survive the day. But do you work with a lot of women who, you know, they want to bounce back or obviously we can't bounce back the way that we normally think we can. But what is your advice to women who are like, my body is just not the same? Like, what do I do? Yeah, it really does depend on the stage in which you're at. So let's say breast, let's, I mean, pregnancy, okay, you can't have any expectations of how that's going to go or how you're going to eat. And I would drop them immediately and take pressure off of yourself when you are pregnant, just do the best that you can. When breastfeeding, and when you're in the first couple years of having a baby, the truth is you're becoming a night worker right? So you're a nurse, you're, you know, you're just a night worker. So your schedule is a mess. And you really do need to take care of yourself in the best way that you can. And it has to be pressure free. Mm -hmm. I am anytime that I come across a caregiver, mm -hmm. I mindfully remind them they're the most important person in the story. You could be dealing with a sick person, a baby, whatever it is. But the truth is, is if you're not taking care of you to the best of your ability, nothing else works. But also that you're a night worker. And so you might need some support mm -hmm. during this very stressful time. Yeah. And what does support look like? I know that's a basic question, but like, I don't have a kid yet. Or, I mean, I see my mother taking care of my grandparents, like any caretaker, it's very stressful. You're not sleeping as much. So what does support look like for anyone that's in that life stage? Really, really good question. Um, I think that moving your body is the single most important thing you can do every single day. There's that famous quote from Legally Blonde where Reese Witherspoon at the end is saying something about how it, you know, she goes to the gym every day and so she wouldn't possibly kill her husband because she has endorphins. So if you think about it, um, I would definitely like swap with a friend and say, I need you to babysit or I would get a babysitter so you can go for a walk and have some sort of quiet time where you can call friends, listen to a podcast, just listen to drums. It doesn't even matter. But finding time in your day, no matter what to walk. What I used to do when my kids were young was um, there was the LA Zoo right near my house. And so we had a membership and every most days of the week we would go to the zoo because I knew that I was going to be able to push her in a stroller and walk. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to go to the gym, but I was able to go to the zoo. Um, when she was a little bit older and I have three daughters, when 
my kids were a little bit older. We used to play, what's her name? Dora the Explorer, right? And we used to run from Swiper and, you know, just get really, really creative, but moving your body any way that you can. I mean, I think we watched High School Musical 1500 times and we just did our own dance routines, right? Making an effort not to sit and to move would be very important. Drinking water. I would be careful with naps because that also will screw your sleep schedule up. So if you're going to nap, make it less than 20 minutes a day and try and go to sleep at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning. You might not sleep through the night, but just going to sleep at the same time and waking up at the same time, that's like pooping at the same time. That's that consistency I'm talking about and your body will thrive just from that. Yeah. Let's talk about sleep hygiene, because I think that's something that's really challenging for a lot of people, especially in this day and age where we have screens, we have doom scrolling, we have all of that. So what are your top tips for better sleep hygiene? So being a, being a good sleeper means that you're able to fall asleep, stay asleep and wake up rested. And there's hundreds of other sleep disorders besides those three. And so I would work on... I, I would try medication free first, which means you're dimming the lights. You are listening to your body's cues. And when the lights start dimming in daylight, then what happens around 9 p.m. in most of our bodies is we get a natural release of melatonin, which is a hormone that tells our body it's time to go to sleep. Melatonin is actually one of the most powerful antioxidants. It really works on cleaning inflammation in every single one of our cells when we sleep. When we take a supplement of melatonin, it actually tells our mind we don't need to make it anymore. So it's really important to allow your body to produce melatonin and you want to give it every opportunity to do that, which is wearing the right glasses if you're going to be on your phone, dimming the lights, you know, even like smelling lavender, relaxing, taking deep breaths, taking a warm bath, doing everything you can to get that release of melatonin. Now, if anyone has taken a melatonin supplement and then they would know that if they don't go to sleep, as soon as they feel it, they kind of miss their opportunity to fall mm -hmm. asleep. The same thing happens with us. So if we eat close to bed and we don't dim the lights, and we get drowsy, but we push through, what happens is we're actually telling our body to wake up. So sleep hygiene is really paying attention to when you're getting tired, it's time to go to sleep. And if you're having trouble staying asleep, then it's making sure that first thing in the morning, you are going for a walk, getting your body into sunlight. This is the way that you tell your body, this is the time we're supposed to wake up. Maybe you do a five minute hit class. If you're somebody who can't sleep through the night, your body is under a lot of stress. And so in order to regulate your nervous system, you need a lot of deep breaths, you need a lot of positive psychology, and you need to watch the type of exercise you're doing. So if you're not sleeping well and your body is under stress and you're doing a HIIT class, you're actually creating more stress. Hmm. So again, being in this relationship with your body, understanding I'm not sleeping, so now I'm going to pivot to yoga, Pilates, walks, low-intensity workouts to help relax my body. And then third thing is if you're having trouble waking up feeling rested, it could be because you're waking up too late, so you're overtired now, or you hit the snooze button and you fell back into a sleep cycle. So it's very important to get up at the same time every day, and it might take two or three days before you recognize, oh, that worked, I feel good now. 
But the first couple of days, you're changing your sleep cycle, which will feel like jet lag. And anyone who's in jet lag knows you feel tired and you don't feel your best. And we have to be careful during that period because we're more likely to make inflammatory choices like mm -hmm. more chocolate, more sugar, more caffeine, because that's what you think you need. You just kind of have to accept you're tired today and give it a couple days until it resets. I think we've all been there. I was there last week. <laughs> Went to the Taylor Swift okay. concert with my niece. Next day, I was like, coffee, this, that, everything, chocolate, whatever, something to wake me up. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I was going to say, it's so funny because we talk about like nighttime rituals for our kids. And this might sound crazy, but I really incorporated that in my life. And when I am not on my sleep routine, very similar to what you're saying, dim the lights, I'll stop working. I'll try to take a bath and just be a little bit slower in the evening. It sounds so crazy, but it has really dialed in my sleep. And what's so interesting, actually, you mentioned this about working out yesterday. I, I did a, a good cardio class. I felt good afterwards. I had the mistake of kind of working a little too late, but I still fell asleep and I woke up very early and I was actually not rested. And, and it's just because I didn't follow my routine. So it's just a good reminder. If you have a hard workout, maybe be a little bit more softer to your body, de-stress a little bit more. And, and also I'm in the cycle leading up to my period. So maybe more extra love during this time, yeah. but I love these sleep rituals because I swear by it. I was that person that you were mentioning where I would kind of be tired. I'd miss the window and then I would be buzzing through the night. And my husband's like, you really got to sleep. And I'm like, no, but I feel energized. So it's definitely possible to become a better sleeper and really doing all those rituals that you said can really, really be helpful. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And if, if somebody's trying to lose weight or maintain their weight, they can't if they're not sleeping well. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things that you mentioned about sleep is that it can lead to some more not so beneficial choices the next day. So we know sleep has a lot to do with like sugar cravings and stuff, but what are your other tips for people who really struggle with sugar cravings? They're like all day long, all I want to eat is donuts or pastries or milkshakes or chocolate. And they're like, nothing else sounds good. I just want sugar. Well, it's an unpopular opinion and I have two. Um, the first is, well, let me explain that sugar cravings are cravings and they have nothing to do with hunger and they are sugar based. And in this scenario, this sugar is heroin and nobody goes into their day thinking, I think I'm going to try some heroin, right? They all kind of know if they do, they could become quickly addicted and that's it. I mean, I think that's the normal consensus. So sugar does the same thing. It's stored in the same part of our brain as the opioids of heroin. Okay. So it becomes an addiction almost immediately. But since our body is self-regulating, it's very cool that we can break that addiction cycle. It takes four or five days. Now, anybody who's ever done drugs and withdrawed, withdrawed from the drugs knows that they're not comfortable. Sugar is not a comfortable withdrawal. It is a pulling, it is a need, it is a seduction in your mind, okay? It is not hunger. I think food is fuel and you should eat when you're hungry. If you're somebody who wants a milkshake and a donut and you're not hungry, I don't think you should be eating it because you're having a craving. I think you should have a milkshake and a donut when you decide I'm physically hungry in my stomach and this is going to serve as my meal of that's my choice. Also being fully aware that it could cause 
an addiction. And so sometimes, you know, if somebody's nauseous or they're not feeling like they want something else to eat, it could be because they're having some nutrition deficiencies, which is interesting. And they should pay attention to that and maybe push themselves in that place, make a different choice sometimes. So what I'm trying to say is if you're craving a food and you know you're not physically hungry and you know you're not hungry because you had the thought the milkshake is a good idea and then you found your mind and you recognized your mind is in your body, you scanned your body, you see that you're not hungry, then what I would urge you to do would be to take that milkshake, put it on hold and wait until you physically get hungry for it. When somebody is physically hungry, they're less likely to want the milkshake. They're going to be more likely to have a turkey burger or something like that. So it's very questionable whether somebody's hungry or not when they want a milkshake. The second is maybe they challenge themselves to experiment with, am I addicted to sugar right now? And what would happen if I didn't eat it for four days? Would I still be wanting it? Mm. So we have a very long life ahead of us. This is about progress, not perfection. It would be devastating to imagine that you're not having birthday cakes and milkshakes in the rest of your life. So we're not doing that. What we're doing is we're saying, I don't want it right now. I'm waiting till I'm physically hungry. And also not having to have it on Monday just because you had it on Sunday is really important. Trusting you can have it again on Wednesday, but being hungry for it. Yeah, no, that all made, made sense. And honestly, it's kind of surprising that you said four to five days, because in my mind, I thought probably longer. But no. you've, wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I mean, if you have never tried not having it, it's a fun experiment. Because yeah. what happens on day four or five is you stop wanting it, completely stop wanting yeah. it. It doesn't hold the same space in your mind. And so it could be all around you and you're just like, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. But what's also interesting is the second you taste it again, you're right back in the cycle. But since you've now practiced not having it, you're aware the only reason you're thinking of it is because you had it yesterday. Yeah. And also from a taste perspective, you know, Yasmin and I just came off of 21 day reset with our community. And it's interesting when you give up some of these things and then you have them again, how they don't taste Mm -hmm. quite the same. They taste overwhelming. They taste way too sweet. It just feels more like this doesn't feel natural. So it's like your body helps to participate in that. Like, I don't want this anymore because your taste buds kind of change. And I love that. If you, I, I love that idea or what you're suggesting is this idea is that we really taste our food. And so when we do eat something with sugar, our mind actually finds it offensive, but we've somehow put in that it's a positive experience. And so it's very interesting. If somebody were to taste something that they think they love and be aware of how they're really feeling when they taste it, they're going to find that the sweetness is, is really repulsive and offensive. Mm-hmm. But by the second bite, they're already in it. Mm, interesting. Yeah. yeah. We, don't, we don't find it delicious in the first bite. We just don't. Wow. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah. It's a fun experiment. Yeah. So I guess, Kim, my final question is just, you know, if you could kind of walk us through your day, I'm curious from your perspective of like all the knowledge that you've accumulated being a registered dietitian and working with so many people over the years and also understanding the importance of your body's wisdom and your cues. Maybe it changes day to day, but I'd love to know like, how you incorporate that in your life? What are like a real life example? Okay, good question. So I get up early between 5.30 and 6, naturally, whenever my body tells me to get up. And then I just hang out in bed for a little and relax. 
drink a cup of coffee, and I'm usually out of bed by 6.30, 6.45, um, making meals for my kids or lunches. I, If I'm hungry, I usually have a bowl of cereal, which I love Cheerios. Um, if I'm not hungry, I wait. And then I, around 7.15, I head out for a walk every morning. And um, I meditate on my walk. I make myself do 11 minutes. And sometimes it's really hard to do 11 minutes. And sometimes I love it so much. I do another one back to back, you know, it just depends on what state of mind I'm in that day, but I don't negotiate with myself and I meditate every morning and I usually walk for an hour. Sometimes I might only have a half hour and that's getting it done. I try and get between five and 6,000 steps before I start work for the day. And I sit for about seven hours every single day. So those 10,000 steps are very important. I always have um, water on my office desk, which is, this is a four cup mason jar. And I usually have two of those at least every single day. I, by the time I start work, I've already on my second meal, which could be a half a peanut butter sandwich. It could be a yogurt with fruit. It could be a bean and cheese burrito, whatever I need or whatever I'm hungry for. And then I'll have probably two other meals while I'm working. And sometimes I go for a walk with my family at the end of the day, sometimes on myself. Sometimes we just run errands. Then we have a family dinner and I'm usually in bed by 930 and asleep by 10. Yes, I love that. I'm also team go to bed at 930 or earlier (laughs) sometimes. So for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Kim. It's just really nice to hear the perspective of somebody who's in it, who's working with people, who sees their struggles and like applying simple things that actually work. So I think that people are going to get so much out of this episode. I'm excited for them to hear it and just super appreciate everything that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.